February. My name is Tom Chick, and my game of the week is not Star Control 3. But but first, I, I want to explain that this is not a board gaming podcast at this point. Uh, January, a lot of board gaming happening. We had some some amazing guests on the on the podcast uh, talking to us. Uh, I could do that all year, and you know what? Maybe I will more. Uh, and you'll certainly be seeing lots more board game coverage on the front page and more discussion of that on this podcast at times, but I was bound and determined to bring you some video game discussion this year, or this year, <laughs> yeah, this year as well, but especially this week, to break the string of board game podcasts for those of you who are into the more digital aspects of, of entertainment. Um, so this is a video game podcast. Now, how was I going to do that, you ask? Well, very simple. I was going to play some video games, and I had a plan. I, I had this this awesome plan to bring you some Xbox One talk. Um, we've done some of that on this podcast, but it's nothing that I've been able to participate in in any meaningful way. I don't have an Xbox One. But what I do have is a friend with an Xbox One that he says, eh, I never play it. You know, I got it, it sits around, I don't do anything with it. So I asked him, uh, would you mind if I borrowed it, maybe? And he said, yeah, sure, I'm, I'm not using it. So I borrowed an Xbox One. And I was so psyched to finally get to play Dead Rising 3 and, and Forza. Uh, you know, I love my driving games, even though I've been critical of the Forza series. Turn 10 does a great job uh, with certain aspects of of these car driving sims, and I really wanted to see what they were doing next. But but mainly, good Lord, Dead Rising 3, you, you don't understand how difficult it has been to maintain an information blackout about Dead Rising 3. Uh, I was just, I didn't want to know anything about it. I just wanted to discover it completely fresh, um, by playing it. So I bought this Xbox One. I went to hook it up to my TV. Awesome. Oh, uses an HDMI input. That's fine. My TV's got one of those. Uh, the reason I'm not using it is because my, my PlayStation 3, uh, it doesn't, there's something wrong with my PlayStation 3. It, it won't output HDMI. Um, no big deal. You know, I've got the component cable hookups. Those work just fine. Uh, so I went to hook up this Xbox One, and, hmm, it's not working. Wait a minute. So all these years, have I been blaming Sony when the fault lies with Samsung, the, the folks who make my TV? It seems that that is the case. Because if you remember in the good old days when something went wrong, you just blame Sony. They screwed up so many times that, yeah, it probably was their fault. So most likely my PlayStation 3's HDMI connection works just fine, but I wouldn't know with the TV that I've got. So I uh, have several monitors in this house for different computers. I went scrambling around looking for some display that could accept an HDMI input, and I had no luck. Uh, so uh, the bottom line is, yeah, I got an Xbox One here in the house this week. I got no way to output the video, though. So, uh, no Dead Rising 3 talk, I'm afraid. No Forza talk. I was even a little curious about, uh, Rise. <laughs> actually, not really. I could not kill this about Rise. I tried to say that with a straight face. I tried to pretend I was actually interested in that game, and it, it didn't work. Sorry. Uh, 
Uh, so what else was I going to do to make sure not to bend your ear about board games this week? Well, there's always PC games. There's plenty of awesome indie stuff coming out constantly. That's one of the great things, by the way, about indie games. They aren't all about that. Hey, we got to get out by Black Friday, or hey, we got to hold it for fourth quarter, or you know, hey, we got to get it in under the wire for Q1. Um, indie games don't care about that, right? So there were some good indie games that came out. I tried one based uh, entirely on the name. Um, uh, a new game came out on Steam called. Our Darker Purpose. Now, to me, that sounds a little bit like young adult fiction. <laughs> like it might be the subtitle of one of the Hunger Games books. Uh, but I looked at it. It seemed to have this really cool Edward Gorey-inspired artwork. Um, it was something about an, uh, a sinister orphanage, and you're, you're a child let loose in this orphanage, and all the other monsters that you fight are the other children in the orphanage. Um, so I start, and it's a it's a roguelike kind of game where with permadeath, where you just get as far as you can, and uh, and maybe if you die, you unlock some new capabilities for your next playthrough. So yeah, this sounded awesome. Started playing that. Um, couldn't figure out how to hook up my gamepad because it's like a twin stick shooter, right? You want to use a gamepad for that. Uh, so I tried to hook that up. I couldn't get it to recognize it. I was looking around the configuration screen. Obviously, I was missing something. Uh, so I did a little research online, which means you just type in Google or darker purpose gamepad support. Um, turns out it doesn't have gamepad support. You have to play our darker purpose with a keyboard. So you use WASD to move your little uh, your little child around and the arrow keys to determine which of the four cardinal directions the child shoots the, I don't know, is it, is it a gun? Or I don't, I don't know what uh, is being shot in that game. But at any rate, it's a twin stick shooter minus the sticks. I don't know what you call that. Twin key? No, there's eight keys. Octo key shooter? I don't know. It's a reach. Uh, so as I was playing, I also realized, you know, I think... This is what that Binding of Isaac game was like that I've heard so much about. Never actually played Binding of Isaac, but I've certainly heard plenty of, about it. Um, I figured, well, if they're not going to, if they can't be arsed to support my gamepad, I'll go play a game that's been out for long enough that I'm sure that they've refined it and they've honed the support and they've worked out any technical issues, and certainly I can use my gamepad there. I'll just go play the obvious inspiration for Our Darker Purpose, Binding of Isaac. So I started playing Binding of Isaac. I went in to configure my gamepad, my game controller. It's an Xbox 360 controller plugged in here. Uh, oh, and look there. It doesn't work. You can't do it. It instead directs you to some third-party software called... It's like Key for Joy or Joy for Key or something like that. Uh, I'm not going to install some third-party software to use a, a gamepad controller. If the designers feel strongly enough that this is how it's supposed to work, well, okay, I'll give it a shot. So I spent some time with Binding of Isaac uh, and kind of decided I don't know that I'm digging this that much. You know, if I'm going to be forced to keyboard my way through a twin-stick shooter roguelike, I think I want to go back to that Our Dark Darker Purpose game. Um, so the point is I, I didn't get very far with either one, but I tried. Um, so uh, my my other option, what I did, I, I played a, a bit of a game called Neo Scavenger, which is a turn-based, super hardcore survival post-apocalypse 
RPG kind of thing where you scrounge for supplies and it details every bruise and scratch uh, and, and exposure to the weather and starvation and thirst and and it's 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 brutal. Um, so I was playing a bit of that when I realized I didn't realize someone told me when I was informed. Oh, you know that's early access. It's not done yet. It's, it's one of those games that you can play an early version of. This has apparently been in development for a long time. Uh, and here I was playing an incomplete game, and that kind of killed my enthusiasm as far as going forward with this build. I really liked what I saw. I look forward to it being finished, you know, the official 1.0 coming out, at which point I will gladly dive in. I look forward to seeing where that goes. But as far as early access, I, I can be patient. I'll wait. There are other things I can play. Um, and on that note, I also thought I would give Starbound a try, uh, even though that also, again, is uh, early access. It's is it even still called an alpha? Are they are they still using that language? Uh, at any rate, uh, I had heard that even though it's not in its final version, that it's mainly feature complete. It's very play playable. Uh, there's lots of content in it. So I jumped into Starbound and I started following the little early quest chains and I beamed down from my ship and I had my equipment and I had a sword kind of thing and some, I think it's called a matter manipulator um, and I'm exploring this planet and then I have to cut down a tree and then I have to have to dig in the dirt and I'm looking for uh, this nugget of iron and then I've got to collect a plant to make a th- thing and uh, I just couldn't stick with it Uh, I really applaud what those games do and the creativity and uh, the crafting stuff that goes into it but it just feels so familiar at this point Um, and again I'll I'll wait for version 1.0 of that I I understand there are some cool unique things about Starbound with being able to move around to the different planets I guess Um, but uh, I I I, I don't know. I, I, I think I've done enough of those kind of Terraria-style games for the time being. Uh, when Starbound gets to version 1.0, I'll certainly jump back into that as well. So that kind of left me uh, in a bit of a dilemma. If I'm not playing any video games, what can I come talk to you guys about? Should I just talk more about board games? I've certainly been playing plenty of those. Um, I considered booting up Marvel Heroes again. Because Lord knows that's a comfort food game for me if ever there was, it was one. I can I can jump into Marvel Heroes and just fritter away t- hours. I don't know, not like hours. It's it's not a very um, don't want to say substantial. Uh, it doesn't push back very much. It's a very forgiving, easy game, and it's more than happy to be just as satisfying in 15 minutes as it is in an hour. Uh, so I could have spent some time with that. I actually did jump back into Guild Wars 2. And kind of uh, realized this is a little dangerous. Are you sure you're ready to do this? Because th- this will be probably something. It'll be the kind of game that you only play this for like a week or two. Um, so I jumped in and uh, did a couple of quests and was doing some combat and working towards some of the daily um, missions that you get. And finally decided, you know, I, sh- I should just back out of this. Let, let, let me find something else. So while casting about for for some video game to cover on this week's podcast, I got a very fortuitous email uh, from a couple of fellows named Andrew Hume and Richard Clifford. Uh, They work at a studio called MinMax Games, 
You may not know that name, but you probably know the name of their first game, Space Pirates and Zombies. They have hinted at a sequel they're working on, uh, but they haven't given any details. Uh, well, as you may know by now, that is changed. They sent me an email saying, hey, we're about to officially announce and share some details about Space Pirates and Zombies 2. Uh, here is some information. Here's this cool trailer we made. Have a look. Uh, let us know if you'd like to talk some more about it. And I read over their little feature list. I looked at this awesome video that they made and was like, oh, yeah, I definitely want to talk some more about it. Come on over to the podcast. Let's uh, let's talk about it. So that's what's about to happen. Uh, all that by way of saying, this is the Space, Space Pirates and Zombies 2 podcast with Richard Clifford and Andrew Hume. Uh, enjoy the interview, and I'll be back afterwards. So, uh, Andrew Hume and Richard Clifford, uh, thanks for being here. I, uh, you guys have been awfully quiet for about a year and a half since we last spoke when Space Pirates and Zombies came out. And I had a brief moment of, of fleeting excitement maybe two or three months ago where I, I booted up Steam. And when Steam boots up, you, you look at your library and every now and then one of the games starts to update. Because there's a patch or there's new DLC, uh, and there are a handful of games that have been on my Steam account, even though I haven't played them in a long time, that I wouldn't dream of installing, uninstalling. And, and one of them is Space Pirates and Zombies. So a few months ago, I booted up Steam and it started downloading something for Space Pirates and Zombies, and I was very excited. I was like, "Oh, these guys are adding more content to it," or there's a because it couldn't have just been a patch, and it downloaded some sort of update, and I looked for some notes for what the update was, and it turned out it was just some or- reorganization of files on Steam. Sorry. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, and I know you guys had nothing to do with that, and you got a few comments uh, to the effect of, oh, I thought there was some update. And so a lot of us went back to just thinking, well, you know, I'll just make do with with what great game I got with Space Pirates and Zombies initially. But little did we know, you guys were kind of sitting back uh, doing a lot of work anyway. So uh, it's been a busy year and a half for you guys. And why don't you briefly describe what the last year and a half has been like? Okay. Well, yeah, we started September 1st about. And it was the, the first day we... We we had a big discussion and decided had quite the quite the heated discussion deciding if we're going to go 2D or 3D this time. Mm-hmm. But in the end, uh, we went 3D, um, and that that led to a lot of our decisions. The two big focuses this time were okay, let's see if we can actually make a game in 3D, and let's make it that you can touch and break everything. So we wanted a game that you were was very tactile. Um, you probably see it in the video. That's with the tractor beam. So. Um, that was right from pretty much day one. What you see in what you see in there worked fairly early on, and it's evolved. But the grabbing parts and trying to snap them together—that was what we wanted the game to be about. Um, now, design-wise, oh, sorry, go ahead. Well, Andrew, so that was Andrew, right? Just yeah. to try to distinguish your voices. So, uh, Andrew, um, tell me a bit about what. And, and Richard, I'm sure you had a lot to say about this. What was the debate about whether or not to go 2D or 3D? Oh, it's pretty much confidence, really. Like, can we? <laughs> so much work. You could talk about the art component. Well, when you when you jump from, well, anybody that's played Spaz One knows that it's it was entirely 2D. So 
the game was built primarily out of like sprites and you know layered parallax layers and stuff. Um, I mean, I had some 3D training background from when I was in college, but you know when we decided we wanted to use Unity. Uh, Unity's engine is primarily 3D, so if we wanted to stick with the old style of game, we would have pretty much had to start faking things right out of the box. Um, so we did some early tests of what we could do to make the game still play like a little bit like a 2D game, but use 3D assets. Um, and like right away, I knew that that was going to be a huge amount of work. So that actually started to kind of inform our decisions where we wanted to build ships out of pieces where I could make pieces and let players build their own ships in the game and we can call that gameplay instead of me having to make, you know, 200 ships from scratch and model and texture them because, you know, when you make it in 3D, they require, like, normal maps and shaders and animation and it's literally 360 degrees of more complexity. Um, so it definitely changed our design for Spaz 2 a little bit, but uh, we're very happy with what we we got so far, and it exceeds our expectations. But when yeah, I first the argument, the argument came down to essentially in Spaz 1, Richard had to use Photoshop for the most part, and that was one tool to create sprites. But when you start to go to 3D, then you have to a multiple tool chain, and you have to know how they all work. And they all have to be good. My my argument was that we faked so much stuff in Spaz 1 that we wouldn't have to fake in Spaz 2. Like all that parallaxing and stuff. When you parallax and all that stuff in 2D, that's a lot of camera tricks and being sneaky. None of that you have to do now. But, I mean, we got really lucky. Richard had, again, a massive amount of level-ups because when, when you see the screenshots now, I can't believe how well it came together. I have nothing to do with how good the game looks. The game looks insanely yeah. good. Some of that, some of that yeah. stuff comes. Like we tried to use the technology the best we could. Like we wanted to leverage what Unity does well, um, and like things like building the ship pieces because there's so much more complexity in 3D. It definitely took longer, but some of the stuff took actually less time to do it in 3D than to fake it sure. in 2D. Like the like the skyboxes, like trying to make a 2D planet that looked spherical that had a sun side and a dark <laughs> side. It's like really hard to do color in 2D and like color lookup <laughs> tables. Like and then. When we were using Unity, I mean, they had, like, the standardized shader language that every engine uses. So, like, right away, it's like some of the stuff started to click together very quickly. Um, we didn't have to make sprites for every little damaged component where we could right. we could use complex multi-layered shaders to do some of this stuff for us. Um, so it's, it's, it's definitely nice to be able to work on updated technology and utilize all that tech. Now, uh, a lot less waste this time. A lot less waste, yeah. When I heard that it was 3D, and, and to specify, when you guys say 3D, this isn't, uh, it still plays on, on one plane, but it's oh, not yeah. your usual uh, 2.5D, which is what it's called a lot when somebody makes a side scroller using a, a 3D engine. You guys are 3D in the sense that, from what I could tell from the video, players are moving the camera around. I mean, you're not locking the camera. You can look at the action from all sorts of different angles. It, it's 3D. You're, you're in an entirely 3D environment, even if the ships are only moving on a flat plane, correct? It's close It's close to a driving game, actually, oddly enough. Like, when we <laughs> did our first physics tests, um, we had a ship we affectionately call the H, which still exists. Cause it looks like an H. Um, and, and that, it flew kind of like uh, a hovercraft on ice, 
You could do Rockfords and power slides. It was really fun just to fly it. And the big motherships, you don't get as much of that because they have just so much mass. When you fly the little drones, it's still there, and it's, mm-hmm. it's quite fun. It, excuse me. It's really funny how it evolved. Like, when we started, it was top-down, and they were 3D, and they were like, we had this mind-blowing idea. Oh, let's tilt the ships a bit when they turn. And, and, you know, you see the video now, and it seems like, duh. But back <laughs> then, we're like, oh, that's something we should try. Let's take this big leap and make the ships tilt. And then one day we had this, this funny camera we put in, like, and it went from 2D to this weird, we called it the balloon camera. It was kind of, uh, if you attached a, a camera to a balloon, uh-huh. right, and, and it was get dragging it, it looks kind of like that. And then we had that, which is now the cinematic camera. And then, essentially, it's always these weird experiments. We went to this third-person, over-the-shoulder view, and like, oh, this is nice. What's <laughs> everything was, but it was getting more and more 3D as we did these things. But we really liked how it felt to fly on a 2D plane. We like if you have like battleships on an ocean, it kind of needs to be an ocean. Mm-hmm. Like you, you, you worry a lot more about positioning that way versus following the reticle in the corner, which always drives me nuts. In, in like full 3D fly <laughs> everywhere, and it's going to be, I'm sure, something people bring up. Like, why is your game not 3D? It was actually harder to do it this way. We had to be clamping everything in Y all the time, and now, now we're at the point where you, for a long time, the world was a was a dinner plate too. So like all the asteroids, all the everything you could kill had to be at Y equals zero, mm-hmm. but now it's not. Now it, it spreads out really nice. It looks really nice. The shooting somehow works, so you could shoot above or below the plane, and it figures out what you what you want mm-hmm. through you know weird magic essentially. Um, <laughs> you can even grab stuff from out of the plane, and it comes into the plane and throw it and do stuff. So it feels fairly natural, but well, you're I, still I on that ocean. Yeah, I, I think a lot of uh, the there are a lot of really great space games that are okay with not having that, uh, is it the Z-axis, that are okay with not going up and down. You know, people fondly recall Homeworld, but there's so many unique challenges that a game like that raises. Things like like Star Control, uh, there's a great uh, RTS called uh, Sins of a Solar Empire. There's a lot of great space action that doesn't have to exhibit three-dimensional thinking, in the words of Star Trek II. Uh, so I yeah. <laughs> we actually we actually said yeah, you're thinking too yeah. Yeah. Uh, that that calm thing. Right. Um so uh Richard, for you, um one of the things that I do worry about as as a player, as someone who really enjoyed the level of creativity that, that you guys brought to Space Pirates and Zombies, and specifically the visual creativity, Richard, which I imagine was a lot of your doing, uh one of the 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 great assets of 2D, and we see a resurgence of that in a lot of development, where developers are going to 2D because it lets them put unique personality and style into games. And a lot of times, modular 3D designs lose some of that personality and style in favor of clumping bits and pieces t- together. Um, so I'm, I'm a little concerned, Richard, and I need you to reassure me, uh, that some of the great stuff that you did, giving the ship's personality in Space Pirates and Zombies 1, will be more difficult for you in Space Pirates and Zombies 2, given the modular ship design. What, what can you say to me to reassure me? Um, well, it's definitely a little bit more difficult. Like, we don't, I can't really make a ship that's complete and say this is what you're getting, um, because we want players to build their own monstrosities. Um, But, I mean, with that in mind, like, all of the ship pieces that I'm creating, I want them to be part of the Spaz universe. So each piece does get some kind of treatment to it. So 
We've got over 70 pieces right now that you can assemble ships out of. Um, they come in a variety of sizes. They come in a variety of types, like nose pieces and, and wings and that kind of thing. But they also come in a variety of styles that match things that you have probably seen in the old games. So we've got like the science class and the bounty hunter class and the generic military class pieces. And they're, they, they, they're supposed to, to give you that look of what we had in the old game, but the user can mix and match them now mm-hmm. um, to basically make their own monstrosity of whatever ship they really want to make. Um, and some of the pieces are quite large, so it's it's not like Minecraft where you have tiny little pieces and you have to assemble it pixel by pixel okay. to make something. Some of the pieces are big, and you know they count as very important large pieces, and they they really do make the ship distinct when you put them on. So like if you notice some of the scenes in the trailer, there's some very large vertical wing pieces that make the ship look like a fish. Um, and depending on how you assemble them together, like I, I want people to have that creativity, but all the pieces are very odd, and they don't they they don't look like the Colonial Marine style ship that you see everywhere. So each piece is supposed to have its personality, uh, and if you watch the trailer closely enough, you will see some pieces of old ships from the other game. Um, you'll see the piece from the big bus. You'll see the piece from the grinder. You'll probably see a little piece from the left hook. Um, there's quite a few pieces I tried to to bring in from the old game, but you can now kind of um, there's a term for it uh, sprite uh, sprite kidding or whatever. So it's like we, oh. like we saw what people were doing with the mods, where they where they they took a lot of my old ships and pulled them apart and rearranged them to make new ships, we wanted people to do that in the game mm-hmm. and call that gameplay and have that be creative. Now, when, when you talk about players creating their own ship and, and their own monstrosity, uh, are you preserving the sense of having a small fleet? Are you changing it more to uh, the player just has one ship? Uh, how can we expect this to change the the game design of Space Pirates and Zombies in terms of fleet management? It's Fairly similar, except now we focus a lot more on the mothership. Okay. So the mothership is the, the main thing you're seeing in that combat trailer. Mm-hmm. There's motherships. There are essentially secondary motherships, which aren't which aren't of the level of your own, but can still get parts attached to them and that sort of thing. Um, and then there are drones, which are the fighters, right? Mm-hmm. Like those little those little tiny one piecers, like the H. You see it in a few different scenes. And they, they're okay. They have they have proper weapons and stuff on them. And they're really fun to fly, but they're tiny. Um, so that's there. So the drones are taking up the place of kind of the the medium, smalls, and tinies. And the the there probably aren't larges. And now we just have a lot of real huges. But you're Although not the, going to a game where the player only uses one ship. Like you're you're yeah. not good. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, uh, what. Uh, in the video, it looks like, uh, like I think we all understand this concept, and and you guys have mentioned, uh, I think, in an email to me that uh, action RPGs like Diablo were kind of an inspiration, and you can clearly see in the video uh, the the ship uh, gathering new pieces as you play. Uh, it's like picking up loot, I, I guess. Um, can you describe for me uh, what the gameplay would be like? Like, if I'm in a battle and I'm fighting, will I be dynamically picking up pieces of, of other ships to add to my ship? Will I want to like pause and look at stats? Uh, tell me as an action RPG where I'm picking up new pieces how this might play out. Okay. Well, 
the in a in a you can you can kind of build your ship in two modes, but the inter- more interesting mode is in the battle um, because then stuff is really hitting the fans. So what happens is you're fighting another ship, and say you both have ten pieces on your ship. You can have any number, but you both got ten pieces, and you're just laying into each other. Over time, each of those pieces has its own individual health and does its own individual sets of things. The guns will go offline. Your maneuverability will go down. You'll have less reactor power as they, as they go off. Eventually, um, say you're shooting an enemy and you, you break his engine off. And when you break that engine off, uh, its hull integrity is going to be zero, and he's no, he's no longer going to be able to use the engine. Um, you might decide, hey, that's a really great engine. You can tell this by looking at it. It's, say it's a two-banger, meaning it has two connection points. I've only got two one-bangers. Two-banger is pretty much always better than a one-banger. So I want that, but here's the downside. For me to do that, I'm going to have to pretty much stop shooting for a second, fly over there, take my old engines off, and snap this new one on. You can do it, and you don't know exactly what the stats are going to be. Mm-hmm. More likely what's going to happen is you are going to be attacked, and your engine gets knocked off. And in the middle of the fight, you could choose, I don't what's that scene from Akira we always reference where he's scooping his guts in? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? You're kind of trying to put yourself together and hide behind an asteroid and just kind of fix, fix. And then if you can put your shields up and protect that thing for just a little bit of time, it'll repair. The, the health in the game is, is a little unusual because the outside parts can be seen almost as armor. Mm-hmm. Um, they can take hits, and they can be repar- repaired. So wings and noses and engines can all be hit and repaired, and it won't massively hurt your ship. If you think of it like Mech Warrior, those are your arms and legs, but it's not your torso. Ah. You're not going to die if you lose it. Mm-hmm. But what those pieces really do is protect your center cores. If your center cores get hit, your health goes down, and that's not coming back in a battle. So if you're not careful, if you're not defending yourself, you are going to get this permanent damage in the battle that you're not going to be able to come back from. And as that wheedles you down and wheedles you down, um, you're more and more screwed, essentially. So if you look at this from a multiplayer perspective, if you're a really, really good player and can manage not to get hit in your vital spots, you can pretty much hang in there forever. You're not going to get, you're, you're, you're going to let your pieces repair, you're going to hit and run and that sort of thing. So that's sort of how it works. You, you, we also have the game working in a sense in waves. So if you're fighting, again, because of how this works, you imagine, okay, I fought that ship, I broke it apart, six or seven pieces have broken off, that's great. I have 30 seconds before another ship comes in. I'm repairing myself, but I'm also quickly scanning these pieces and saying, okay, oh, that thing's great. Kick off my wing, snap it on, hide. Fix, 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 fix. Oh, shit, here comes, oh, sorry. Here comes the other... <laughs> Andrew, you've already, you've already, I I think, Andrew, you've already belched twice, so cursing at this point isn't going to matter. (laughs) Well, that's just how I am. (laughs) No, you guys have every right to celebrate at this point. Um, So I guess, Andrew, that's what you're getting at when you talk about the the combat being a matter of minutes, not seconds, is that you're going for this more uh, drawn out. I don't mean that in a a negative sense, but... uh, a more deliberately paced strategy than just sort of fast action uh, stuff. It's a boxing match. When you when you it's fight boxing. a ship, uh-huh. if you get lazy when you're fighting a ship, so the, the real tempting thing to do right now, because we put in this impact damage, everything in the game takes impact damage now. Based on its mass and the speed it's moving, it will hurt the other thing, which makes cool stuff happens, but it also makes you think, oh, man, I'm just going to ram that bugger, knock a piece off him, 
And that's great. And you see Richard do it in the video, which is one of my favorite scenes. Where he knocks the center core right out of a ship and just wrecks it. I love that. But when you decide to go just balls out and attack a ship, even if it's weaker than you, you're going to take a lot of that core damage. Mm -hmm. It's not good. It doesn't go well. You can't be you got to keep a cool head in the battles or, or the next ship that comes in is just going to hurt you. And even if even if you win that battle, guess what happens when the battle's over? You're out back in the star map. Everybody else has heard that the big battle just happened and they're going to come and hurt you. So you have to think about all this, the, the whole game together. You can't just you can't just go in there like a crazy berserker unless you have a massive ship. You know, then you can. Uh, and I know you guys are, are wanting to make this work now with controller support to be a much more conventional sit back in your desk chair and use an Xbox controller kind of thing. Uh, well, that, I can't imagine that was too difficult because you're starting from uh, with a new combat model here, correct? Yeah, yeah. So there were a lot of a lot of comments about the previous game that were all pretty much spot on. I, I can't even play Spaz One anymore, not because I don't like it. I think it's a great game. I can't control it. I'm so used to the new controls, and now I kind of feel. I feel how the people who really hated the controls felt, who were really, really used to the screen relative, like, I just can't do it now. Mm-hmm. I cannot wrap my mind around the old controls. And I wrote the stupid controls, and I cannot <laughs> wrap my mind around it. So I, lesson learned, you know, it's fixed. Uh, so the, um, the uh, I don't know how much we can talk about this, so, so let me know, but you have mentioned um, multiplayer uh, as far as uh, the way that that combat model would work in multiplayer, uh, is multiplayer that you've 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 told us that there's an arena mode, I, I believe. Uh, yes. Is is multiplayer also built into the main game? Uh, is that or is it something separate that I'll be doing in uh, alongside playing single player? Well, there's 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 two kinds of multiplayer. So right now, what works is this: we've got Rich and I can connect. And we can fight, and it works great, and it's good. Mm-hmm. Um, in that, that's what we call an arena, essentially. Okay. Like, you know, that's your typical. Hey, I'm playing Mech Warrior, or whatever. Let's just go beat each other up. It's fun. That's that kind of multiplayer. The other multiplayer we have is co-op multiplayer, but that is local split screen. So it's kind of neat because it's drop in, drop out. Mm-hmm. So. You know, if you have two controllers, you just press start, boop, you're in, and you play, and you press start, and you're out. And all you do when you play co-op is you just take over one of the, because you brought it up, that, yes, there's more than one ship in your fleet. If your friend comes over and presses start, he will be in control of ship B, and you're flying ship A. And if you hit next ship, you'll go to ship C instead of ship B, and that all just works naturally. One of the cute things, though, which is cool, I think, is that, that works on online multiplayer too, because <laughs> all the data is all the data is is uh, we have what we essentially call a player brain. We insert on top of the AI brain that takes control of it. And long story short, I can be sitting next to Richard on the couch playing you online, and it just all works. And it is the intention, and I don't know if you can say this yet, but is the intention that eventually, if I'm playing my single player campaign in Space Pirates and Zombies Two that someone can join me online, or that's a yet-to-be-determined thing? It's yet-to-be-determined. Okay. It's, we've investigated. It's it's in the air. Yeah. Uh, I just want to leave you with two words that I think are very important for any game that's going to eventually have zombies in it, and those two words are uh, horde and mode. So I'm just putting that out there. 
<laughs> we hear you. We hear I can imagine. Loud and clear. <laughs> For sure, man. <laughs> uh, I also want to talk a bit about. Uh, I don't know how much you can say about this, but I'm. I'm uh, you've dropped some very intriguing references to the universe this time. Uh, as you both know, one of the things that I, I, I adored about Space Pirates and Zombies was the unfolding apocalypse. It wasn't just, hey, you're here, there's a bunch of zombies. You guys had a, a, a gradually emerging zombie apocalypse change the, the state of the universe. Uh, I presume that's part of what you're doing here, but this is kind of a post-zombie Apocalypse, post-apocalypse. It's post-post-apocalyptic game. Post-post-apocalypse. Yeah, it's the same idea though. We want you to always be dealing with changes to the universe. Every time you get the game figured out, just like last time, we want to change it up. So the last game, you know, you play, you 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 learn how to play. Then we beat you down with a new thing. Then you get the zombies beating you down. Then you get to Sector Four, which was just hurt, pain, attack. Um, we're doing that again, but we're not making you wait 40 hours this time to get to the, the like we did. The, we thought it was going to take eight hours to play, but it doesn't. <laughs> it takes 40. So yeah. Oops. Uh, and so that, I guess that's part of uh, something you want to address in, in the sequel is get those changes in in faster or yeah yeah okay. we we have a different method for for how things come at you now that sh- that allow us to determine. We can make it happen on a nice schedule now. We, it's not. It's, we're not going to make you wait 40 hours to get to the to get to the meat of the game. Mm-hmm. That's that's just wrong. And it kind of hurt us in reviews too. And uh, you know, this guy has five hours to play the game. Oh, he just got through the tutorial in one system. <laughs> Oops. Uh, you do mention also in uh, the information that you've released that uh, uh, there are time-based events that that seem like they're not dependent on the player flipping um, an okay, I'm ready, a, a scripting trigger. Uh, and I couldn't help but think of Dead Rising, which is a zombie game that Capcom made. And some of the complaints about Dead Rising are that it had a, a timing mechanism that some players felt like, I don't, I don't want that, I'm being left behind. But then other players like me really liked that kind of ruthlessness to it. Um, do you fall one way or the other on that issue with Space Pirates and Zombies 2? Um, how do you... Um. Yeah. See, with Dead Rising, I I didn't play a heck of a lot of Dead Rising, to be honest with you, but the impression I got from it was that it was a very scripted type of open-world game with a bunch of timed events that time out on you. Right. And But you knew, what you, you knew that they were there, and then they're kind of gone, so it was like just a bunch of quests that just kind of expired. Um, well, but also Richard, really it was a, it procedural was a, now. So when stuff right. happens, it happened because of a system. It happened because of a reason. It happened because somebody starved to death, or got infected, or band together, or split apart. Um, it works a lot more like something that you might see in like State of Decay, where it's all driven from a system mm-hmm. instead of a bunch of missions. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Uh, it's, it's it's hard to explain because there's not a lot of these kind of games out there. Like I could I could talk about like like Project Zomboids kind of similar, whereas you're just the world really is a simulation now. It's like we have a very small Civ like game sitting on top of it, and those are determining these time based events. It's 
it's, we're not just shutting things off over time. And new things are coming up, but it's it's always predictable. It's predictable because of the rules of the system. Okay. Um, it's hard to talk about it in too much detail right now because we're still pretty early, but that's generally the direction we're going with it, where everything is emergent. Well, oh, it takes, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Andrew. It's okay. I'm done. Well, that's actually Richard. But oh. We can, <laughs> right now, um, the metagame, we kind of call it the Petri dish. And it, without player input, will run, and it's fun to watch. I can't go into too much detail yet because we want to you know, talk about that in the future, and it needs to look a lot more sexy than it does now because right now it's cubes. But it's a Petri dish, and it will evolve the way it evolves, and things will run into each other and do their own thing. But if you have a Petri dish and then, say, at hour five, you say, I am going to drop some anthrax in this dish now, and let's see what happens <laughs> at some random position. Boom, some people are going to have a really bad day. And it will evolve and evolve. Okay, that's great. Now let's have a little Ebola in there. And, you know, by the, you know, by the time you get to hour X, it's a really, really nasty place to, to live. And that's that's kind of what how it works right now. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think uh, what intrigues me, and I, I believe you guys have mentioned this in the, in the, the materials you've released, uh, is it seems like this Petri dish consists of, in the post-post-apocalypse, all of these AI-led fleets uh, moving around competing for resources, which, by the way, very much reminds me of State of Decay, where they create a map and they seed it with resources and... In State of Decay, you're basically consuming the resources yourself, but it sounds like you're doing something similar, but there are other AI players who are no different from you in terms of they're running around trying to grab those same resources, and that it's that competition for resources that creates the dynamic faction-driven universe, correct? You understand it perfectly, then. Okay, good. good. Like, Yeah, if you're, if you're a good guy and I'm a bad guy, Right. Let's take it a very simple thing. And there's this big mountain of, of food. There's no benefit for you and me in attacking each other, right? There's no even if we don't like each other, we're not going to fight. But if there's only one piece of corn left in this mountain, we're going to fight, even if we're friends. We have to. Mm-hmm. And that's how it works. Great. Yeah. Yeah. People are just drawn into conflict mm-hmm. through through resource scarcity. It's like the real world, hopefully. But yeah, the player this time is not special. Last time the player is the savior of the galaxy. That's cool. And that works really well for Spaz One, but it's also nice to live in a in a more of a evolving universe. We think so. We wanted to try this. Then here's the question that I have, Andrew. When you when you describe that, um, and this is actually true of a lot of zombie mythology, but what you're describing that scavenging for resources in a post-apocalyptic society, in a lot of cases it's sort of like the other survivors are your worst enemy and you certainly see that like in the last season of walking dead for instance uh it's almost like the zombies are incidental so what you are describing makes me then wonder and you maybe can't answer this yet but makes me then wonder how do the zombies fit into this ecology this time around uh, how are you going to fold zombies? it almost feels like what you're describing andrew i think well i don't need zombies that sounds awesome without the zombies the zombies are again one of those one of those that's the anthrax in the petri dish. It, ah. it, it's it's the thing. The game isn't about zombies. It's the, it's it's and zombies, right? But it's not a game about zombies. It's a game about the interactions of these people. You know, I I think the best zombie the best stories in zombie mythology kind of get that. Like the original Night of the Living Dead is about the survivors inside the house 
and the zombies outside are kind of incidental. I mean, they precipitate the event, but the real drama is the survivors in the house. So that's kind of awesome to hear you say that, Andrew, uh, about space pirates and zombies, too. Um, I'm glad you like it. <laughs> so uh, a lot of folks now, I, I know you've just announced this, uh, want to know, obviously, when they can play. Uh, you mentioned before we recorded that you're hoping to start an early access program uh, near the end of this year. Um, so, so tell us what you can about the, the scheduling, uh, how far along you are, and how far you have to go. Uh, how far along we are is, well, you can see the combat in the, in the video fairly well. That's pretty darn far along. Um, the metagame, I would say, works quite well. The, all the concepts and the, like the design work, I think, is done at this point. For the most part. There's a lot of implementation. Um, Multiplayer stuff's going to take some time. Luckily, we've got multiplayer working, but it's not something you can just tack on, right? Like, it has to be good. Um, it's really hard for us. Like, I, I don't know if you ever read our, our little story from way back, but our original spouse was going to take six months, and it took <laughs> two years. Two years. Um, so we're bad at scheduling. We're, we're, <laughs> we're very much less dumb about our scheduling now, and, and we think early access is quite a boon, like, with SPAS 1, we went into beta, and we got people's opinions, and we're able to edit it. We can use that for early access, but what we don't want to do with early access is to put out something that isn't indicative of what SPAS is. Like, when you when you pay for the thing, we want you to play a full game, the full, you know, single-player game. Based on input, we might change it. We probably will change it quite a bit, like edit it over time. But there will be a full game there that should be fairly fun at that point. Mm-hmm. Multiplayer should work, all that kind of thing. I think the first thing we'll see, like, I can correct me if I'm wrong, but we we talk a lot about a a multiplayer demo, like a Wake <laughs> Island, like a Wake Island thing. Mm-hmm. And that would be before the, even the the early access, probably. This would be, hey, do we have the multiplayer working? The network code, because there's two of us doing this, right? Does the network code work well enough that it's not going to make people tear their hair out? We think it does, but that's two of us playing together, about six blocks from each other. We, we really want to get some input. Now we would just put up for free. We just say, here, play, have right. fun, that sort of thing. Right. So I think there's going to be a lot of activity from us for the most part for the rest of the year. We'll have videos coming out, that kind of thing. But there will, you know, that, that, that Wake Islandy thing will come out, whatever it turns out to be as a test. Uh, early access will come out. Then eventually the game will come out. And then the game will get worked on for a while after that, just like Spaz did. So. It's, we, we're kind of in the, for a long haul mode. Like we know we're going to be working on Spaz for what now another three years. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah. It all depends but, on but the fans, it, really. Yeah, it all. Yeah, it depends on, on on how it does. It might. Who knows? Like it might do really well. It might be that like, oh, what did you do? But we, we really like it. <laughs> well, Andrew, I have like like Richard similarly reassured me earlier when I was asking about the modular ship design and how much you can do with artwork. Uh, I have a question for you, actually for both of you. Um, as someone who really liked the original game as a single-player experience, part of me is thinking, that's great that you're adding multiplayer, but that's not really something that I, I want from it. That's certainly not something that I associate the first game with. I almost wish you guys would just not mess with that and just just work on single-player. Does the multiplayer, does, is that something that you felt pressured to do by reactions to the first game? Is it something that you personally want? Um, what was behind the decision to do what must be a, a fair amount of hard work to add oh, yeah. multiplayer to the sequel? 
Well, okay, so the multiplayer, Spaz 1 kind of called for multiplayer because, you know, the ships are kind of neat to fight. You think, oh, I'd love to fight with my friends with the ships, or I'd like to do co-op with them. Mm -hmm. Now that we have how Spaz 2 works with the putting the ships together and them essentially working like Super Mechs, I played a lot of MechWarrior Mercenaries, like stupid amounts, mm -hmm. uh, just just bad amounts, failing school kind of amounts of that <laughs> game. And it, this game has that feel for the battle timing and the putting your, your ship together and all that stuff, and it would be kind of a crime to not have the ability to do that. Like, I'd really like to just square off with someone and fight them with my crazy ship, but I'm not really a big multiplayer guy anymore as I was when I was, a, when I was a kid. When I was a kid, I played just tons and tons. I don't so much now, but this particular gameplay to not have the multiplayer for it would be kind of a bit of a crime, I think. Uh, I, I am encouraged, Andrew, to hear you cite uh, your own experience with the MechWarrior games rather than, well, fans wanted it, so we have to do it. It does, it does sound like it's something that you're doing because you want that in there, and I do appreciate that. Yeah, well, it's kind of, it's like the games are baby, and we have to make it, like, it, it, like I say, it feels like it would be wrong not to do it. Sure, sure. Just because of how how the combat feels. Like you do, you do want to break your friend's engine off and start beating them with it. You do want to throw asteroids at your buddies. Like that's, that's cool. It's fun when the AI does it, but it's really fun when you do it to to a friend. And you can do it locally too, which is nice. And also, don't don't forget those two little words I mentioned earlier. Once again, I just because <laughs> when I hear multiplayer, that's where I go these days. Zombie uh, horde, I got gotcha. you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I, I also imagine a lot of folks uh, would look at the level that you guys are working on uh, at. You're you're a, you're a two man group basically. Um, there's a lot of love that goes into this game. Obviously, a lot of time, a lot of energy. Uh, why uh, and did you guys consider? Uh, and if so, why didn't you do a Kickstarter campaign? You can talk about that. Oh, um, well, a big reason why we didn't do a Kickstarter campaign is simply because we didn't have to do one. Um, <laughs> like, I know it sounds bad, but, like, it's just, it just, a lot of them, it just seems like there's a lot of Kickstarter games that really... It's, it sucks the magic out of it or something for me. Like, you end up with a lot of... We didn't want to get paid before we did anything. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like and I, like, and I find some of the early access games are the same way. Like, we wanted to make this game the way we wanted to make it. We didn't want people um, trying to influence the design right from the conceptual stage. And we find that there's a lot of Kickstarter games that that kind of happens. It turns into, a, like, a, a design by committee. Like... Fan feedback is critically important, but, you know, for the last year, we want to make the game as close to our vision as possible, and when it's ready, we're going to absorb feedback from the public. But I find with Kickstarter, it's just, it's so early to show people, and, you know, they don't, I don't think people are ready to look at a game in a gray block state and understand what they're looking at. Like people see houses being built on the side of the street all the time and they know what that is, but people don't really understand what a game looks like being built. Um, like I've been watching them build planetary annihilation cause they kickstarted that. And every time they do a video, the guy has to talk for 10 minutes 
about how it's not finished because people just right. mail in and, and complain that it doesn't look like a final product because that's all you tend to see. Um, Anyway, I'm droning on about Kickstarter, sorry. No, <laughs> I love, Richard, that you guys feel like you didn't have to, so that's great news. Good. Uh, well, all right, so uh, where can folks go to find out more? Uh, tell us uh, where, where we can find out more about Space Pirates and Zombies 2. Spaz2.com. You guys got Spaz2? Do you have Spaz? Just regular Spaz.com? Spaz2.com, Space Pirates and Zombies2.com, SpazGame2.com, Space Pirates and Zombies.com, SpazGame.com. <laughs> it's all going to go to the same place starting tomorrow. So, yeah. Or today, or whenever this decides. That's starting today, yeah. We will post the day that you guys announced. As a matter of fact, while this is playing, you guys are probably out either celebrating or you're curled up in a ball uh, and you're nervous wrecks. One of the two. Oh, yeah, we'll be licking the monitor probably. <laughs> Uh, I didn't sleep last night, but yeah, still a day away. It's kind of hard to show uh-huh. to show something you've been hiding for so long. Um, yeah. The other cool thing, though, is we've got Steam this time, so people are going to be able to go to the Steam page tomorrow. That'll be neat. What do you mean you've got Steam this time? I, I have, oh, oh, you, you guys, it, it was a bit of a, a labor to get onto Steam, I seem to recall, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's right, because I'm, I'm used to seeing it. As I mentioned, I'm used to seeing it on Steam. Uh, so, But I forgot. Yeah, so you're it's on Steam from the get-go this time. Yep. yep. Everything's all set up. Hopefully Good. we'll we'll link to our, our, our coming soon page, and it'll just be really neat. Excellent. Yeah, so that's someplace else people can go to find out more. Yes, well. yes. Yeah, we're thinking that the Community Hub will be fairly large for us, mm-hmm. for Steam, for, like, passing out information and... We're, we're looking forward to it. It's scary. I mean, it's going to be a balance now of dealing with talking to people, which we didn't have to do for the last 16 months, versus, you know, actually building the game. Right. Which is another reason that, that uh, we didn't do Kickstarter, because, you know, you need lots and lots and lots of communication when people <laughs> thank you for something. Sure. And since nobody's paid us for anything, you know, at this point, we didn't have to talk. We could just work, 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 do it. It's cool. Let's do that. It's cool. Blah, blah, blah. Let's go to the pub. Let's talk. You know, that's, that's great. We weren't responsible. Right. Now we're starting to have a little bit of responsibility. It's probably why we're staying awake at night. <laughs> well, I definitely look forward to hearing more. There's there's a, a bunch of stuff. I can't wait to hear more about the strategic layer and uh, what you're doing with the zombie ecology. Uh Sounds like very exciting stuff. But in the meantime, what a great opening splash with some of that that ship combat and the modular stuff, uh, the 3D engine. Uh, so if you're listening, make sure to check that out. It it, uh, it packs quite a punch. And good lord, if you're listening and you haven't played Space Pirates and Zombies, uh, get to it. I mean that that still holds up. I, I think. Um, so uh, Richard. And Andrew, thank you guys so much. Uh, I wish you the, the best of luck going forward. And when you want to talk some more about it, come on back. We look forward to hearing more. Yeah, we will for sure. Thank you very much. Thanks a lot, Tom. Well, all right. There you go. Late 2014. What do you think of that? <laughs> Uh, that, that whole expectation management thing, like I get all excited to hear about this and then you can't play it for another year. I say a year. I mean, they say uh, early access late 2014. I won't be participating in that because I'm more than happy to let them finish the game first. But it basically sounds like this is a game that we will probably be enjoying somewhere about this time next year. So there you go. All my enthusiasm. Let me pack it back into that little box and uh, sort of wrap it up in tape, and, and leave that there until the release date gets closer. Um, but I did I did mean it. I would love to have them, when they're ready to, 
talk about some additional details. There's a lot of intriguing stuff that they're doing that I look forward to hearing more about. And when they want to talk more about that, I definitely would love for them to come back out. And those guys, I'd love to talk to them just about zombie games in general and, and whatnot. Um, so expect to hear more from them over the course of the year. Uh, for those of you listening, uh, once again, let me ask you to uh, like us on uh, I no rate, oh, rate us on iTunes, like us on Facebook. And you know what, the whole Facebook thing—you don't have to. We uh, I, I'm terrible at keeping that updated, but I do tweet from time to time. So follow me on Twitter at at QT3. Letter Q, letter T, the number three. Uh, and we really, really do appreciate it when you rate us on iTunes. I know how many of you are listening, and I furthermore know how many of you have actually rated us on iTunes. That ratio, the number of people who listen and the number of people who rate us, terrible. You guys are doing an awful job. I'm, I'm, I'm deeply disappointed. Uh, so see what you can do about that. We, we love uh, – I don't even know what it matters, but I hear people say that on other podcasts a lot, so I feel like I should say it. And I do every now and then look at that number and think, why aren't more people rating us? What the heck? Uh, so if you get around to it, please do that. I, I appreciate it. Uh, and uh, we do, of course, have a donate button. We, I really appreciate it when folks use that. That's really cool. Just, just a little – think of it as a tip jar. Uh, if you like what we do here – tip us from time to time um and most importantly just tell your friends uh share the podcast with others uh, that's that's actually the best thing you can do for us uh i will be back next week with will, will it be more video game talk or will i go back to board games who knows tune in next week to find out until then thank you for listening have a good safe happy week and uh enjoy whatever you're playing Watch the sunrise from a tropic eye Just remember